Did you know that? That it is impossible for God not to hear you when you're basing your prayer upon one of His promises? Didn't Jesus promise, Him that cometh to me I shall in no wise cast out? You believe that, don't you? Amen? Tonight, would you take your Bible, please, and open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 11. Luke, chapter number 11. Now, we began, a few weeks ago, a little series entitled, Living the Victorious Christian Life. If you asked any Christian... Do you want to be a winner or a loser for Jesus? I'm pretty sure they would tell you they want to be a winner. I mean, who wants to be a loser? We all want to be winners. Devil doesn't want us to be winners. The Lord wants us to be winners. We want to be winners. How do you be a winner? How do you live the victorious Christian life? Well, we learned that essentially the Christian life is Christ's life. It's lived in us and through us. That's the victorious Christian life. An illustration that I've used uh, a couple of times is um, the painting by Leonardo da Vinci, The Mona Lisa. If somehow I could find a, a canvas stretched on a wooden frame, if somehow I could find all of the original oil paints that he used, the charcoals that he used, if I could find uh, the brushes that he used, and I gave them to you, and I said, paint the Mona Lisa. How successful do you think you might be on a scale of 1 to 10? Anyone here think they could paint a perfect Mona Lisa? Hmm. Nope, not one of us. You think we could do a stick figure maybe and say, well, that's Mona Lisa. Maybe we could do a little bit more than a stick figure, but I can pretty much guarantee that none of us could do what only Leonardo could do. But what if somehow we could take Leonardo and put Leonardo inside of you? You see, then all of a sudden, hey, where's those brushes and uh, the charcoals? And before you know it, he'd have a sketch He'd have the oil paints mixed and onto the canvas. And in the process of time, wouldn't you know it, there's the Mona Lisa. How'd that happen? How'd you do that? Well, it wasn't me. It was Leonardo within me. Only Jesus Christ can live the Christian life. The rest of us are just mere rank amateurs. We can draw stick figures and say, well, that's the Christian life. But only Jesus can really live it. And he tells us, the good news is that he gives us uh, instruction in the Word of God. There are several basic things that we need to be involved with heavily. The first one that we dealt with, of course, is our, our enemy, sin. We have to learn to recognize sin, repent from sin, and reject sin out of our lives. You know, it occurred to me uh, this afternoon, we, we were driving someplace, and we, we drove past a bit of a deluxe charismatic church. Um, far as I know, it has a fairly large attendance. Well, I, I know a little bit about this church, and I know that whatever you are, they'll take you in. You'll feel loved and welcomed there. Now, 
That sounds good. But the truth is, they have very little in the way of doctrinal standards. Doctrine is what defines us. And our charismatic friends have very little in the way of meat and potatoes. They don't really preach on sin. They may give a show of godliness, but they truly deny the power thereof. The charismatic movement is built on uh, shifting sand and a lot of uh, mis misinterpreted uh, scripture verses. But the thing is, they don't emphasize the doctrine. They don't preach against sin. Just, oh, whatever you are, come. We're just going to have one big group hug. We're going to have a family love in. And we're going to love and accept one another. And you could be a, a very wicked sinner. And they'll just love you. They'll never condemn the, the sin. They'll never point out. They don't preach against sin. The Lord Jesus preached against sin. Have you noticed that when you read through the Gospels? He preached against sin. He preached more on hell than he ever did on heaven. But Jesus was compassionate. And that's where we need to be on the ball. We need to have the love of Jesus in our heart toward others. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Say that together with me. Hate the sin, love the sinner. One person here didn't say that with me. I feel hurt. Let's say it again together, everyone. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Indeed, we're to love the sinner. You know, what were we one day? We, we were lost sinners in the eyes of God. If we had died in our sinful condition, we would end up in hell. God loved us. Others loved us too and shared the gospel with us. Well, what I'm saying is that um, we need to recognize sin, repent of sin, and reject sin. Sometimes we have to go through our, our homes or our lives and throw things out that are sinful. Do a little house cleaning. You know, you go through your heart or things in your life, say, well, that's good, I'll keep that. And No, that doesn't bring glory to God. That's sinful. Out it goes. And sometimes it's easier said than done. I got saved when I was 18 going on 19 and came right out of the world. I was very worldly. I had a lot of worldly things. One thing that I had was this large collection of rock and roll records. And I thought it was pretty cool to have those. And I had this collection of them. The Holy Spirit started working on my heart, saying, this music is not glorifying to God. Their lifestyles, the lifestyles of the musicians, glorify the world, the flesh, and the devil. They don't glorify Jesus. And it took a while, but I finally decided, you're right, Lord. I need to get rid of them. So I held them. I went over to the garbage bin. My intent was to break them over my knee. And I took the first album and I looked at it and I thought, can I do this? I spent all this money on it and wow, maybe I could, maybe I could sell. Maybe that's what I could do. Maybe I could liquidate and sell you know, the, these uh, rock records. But then the Holy Spirit said, don't sell your sin to someone else. And I thought, you're right. You're right, Holy Spirit. And so... Without thinking about it, I snapped, I broke it over my knee. And that is when the chain broke. All of a sudden, I grabbed the second one. I snapped and broke it. And it was so easy to do. But that first one was a little hard. We need to go through our homes, our hearts, and our lives periodically. And we need to look and see if there's any accumulated bad habits or sin 
And we need to get rid of it. We need to recognize it, repent, and reject it. Get rid of it. So that's how we began this series. How can we possibly live the victorious Christian life if we've made provision for the flesh and we're dabbling in the flesh? In English, we say our hand is in the cookie jar. That's when mom comes in the kitchen. What are you doing in there? What are you doing? Get your hand out of that cookie jar. <laughs> we've been caught. And our hand is in the cookie jar of sin. How can we live the victorious Christian life? Well, we can't, can we? We have to get that right. Well, we, we talked about that. And then the next uh, message we talked about was the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we all know it up here. We all know that we can be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit so that He's in control. And we explained really the simplicity of it. And of course, we've got to deal with step number one. We've got to get the sin out. And then we can turn to the Lord in love and simplicity and childlike faith and say, fill me with your Holy Spirit. But do you remember, there was a caveat. There was a warning. A little uh, warning on the bottle. Do you remember what the warning was? Do you remember what it was? Our big enemy, when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit, our big enemy is our, it starts with the letter F. F. F-O. Brother Howard, do you remember what it was? Forget? Someone said forget? Yeah. That's That's it. How many of us remembered this morning to ask the Lord to fill us with the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you remembered to ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit? That's why it has to become a habit, a routine. Where right at the beginning of the day, when you have your devotions, that's one of the things you pray for, is the filling of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. You know, the filling of the Holy Spirit is something that's to be done more than once. We are to be, and it's a present tense, it's the idea of be being filled. Constantly being filled. Say, Why? Because we leak. That's why. You know, you ask the Lord to fill you and an hour later or a couple hours or maybe a few minutes, you've already leaked. And worldly thoughts may be dancing around in your head. You need to ask the Lord forgiveness and filling. So it's something we have to get in the habit of doing. We have to, throughout the day, get in the habit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the second message that we, we, we had on this subject, living the victorious Christian life. And then the next message we looked at was our Bibles. We often fall into a bad habit of just reading the Bible. Reading the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible. I highly recommend it. We all need to read the Bible. But the problem is, it's a living book. It's a living book, and it wants to speak to our hearts. And that's how we have to approach the Word of God. We need to open it up and say, Okay, my friend, what can you teach me today? What can you tell me? How can you help me and instruct me? Is there something that I can learn that will help me to walk closer to the Lord? Is there something I can learn that will help me to recognize sin? Is there something that will help me to be filled with the Holy Spirit more? Can I learn something more about my lovely Savior? Is there a promise here in, in your pages that I can lay hold of 
and claim for my own and take it to the throne of grace, a promise of God. Let, learn to let the Bible talk to your heart. You see, there's a big difference between reading the Bible as if it were a piece of literature, like a, a Shakespeare book, or for some people, it's about as exciting as reading the dictionary or reading a telephone book. You know, did you read your Bible today? Yeah, I read it. Well, what did you read? I don't know. But I read three pages. See, when we spend time with the Word of God, it's alive. It's the living Word of God. And we ought to come away saying, boy, it was good to spend that time with God's Word. Boy, I got spoken to today. You see, that's what we want. To live the victorious Christian life. Our Lord Jesus, He dealt with temptation. Of course, Satan tempted Him. And of course, He overcame Satan with the Word of God. The Lord Jesus was given the Holy Spirit without measure. He was definitely filled with the Holy Spirit and He did all of these miracles. The Lord Jesus loved God's Word. Psalm 119 was written, we believe, by King David. And if you stand back and look at Psalm 119, you'll find an uncanny parallel to the life of the Lord Jesus. We spent, I think, six or eight months, a couple of years ago, on Wednesday nights, dealing with Psalm 119. And we did a verse-by-verse, almost word-by-word exposition of it. It was so good that we bought this frame and it has Psalm 119. It's on the wall as you go through the double doors out there on your left. Psalm 119. And in it, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And the Lord Jesus was filled with the Word of God. You see, this is the victorious Christian life, isn't it? Well, tonight, our subject is going to be uh, a beginning, uh, a taste, if you will, because it's on the subject of prayer. Prayer is something that every Christian does. You can't even get saved without praying. You have to pray to get saved. So every Christian prays to greater or lesser degree. But we're going to talk about that. The old devil is trying to make prayer about as exciting as um, watching dust accumulate on a tabletop. That's what the devil is trying to do. Prayer is a whole world of excitement. And we're going to talk about that tonight. So, um, we'll, we'll have a word of prayer to begin. And then we'll get into this subject. We're going to take the mystery out of prayer. At least we're going to try. Heavenly Father, help us now tonight as we take a very important step forward in living the victorious Christian life. Prayer is such an incredible subject. We can't possibly plumb the depths of it in one sermon or ten sermons. We couldn't do it. It's so vast. Help us to learn a little more tonight. Father, I pray for everyone gathered here in your house and everyone who's watching online. And I ask that you would please help them in their prayer closets. Help them 
in their prayer life with you. Lord, teach us to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1. Would you please read it out loud? See, you have to do some work when you come to church or when you watch online. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Read out loud with me now, please. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. What was it about the way Jesus prayed that caught the attention of his apostles, his disciples? They knew something about prayer. Of course they did. They were raised in religious homes. Most everyone knows something about prayer. But to so many people, prayer is just kind of a mysterious sort of thing. A lot of people are taught to close their eyes when they pray. A lot of people don't. They keep their eyes open. They look up when they pray. A lot of people will get on their knees when they pray. A lot of people don't. They'll stand. They'll sit. Do you, do you believe it that some people drive cars and pray at the same time? If you're living in Surrey, you ought to. Especially intersections. Wow. You drive the King George Corridor, every intersection you ought to be praying, Lord, help. <laughs> There's so many lunatics, licensed lunatics on the road today. We ought to be men and women in prayer. Your car can be a great little prayer chamber if you let it. Well, Christ's disciples, like many Christians today, are mystified, mystified by prayer. You see, that's why they asked Jesus for help. If they had all the answers, they wouldn't have asked Jesus. But they didn't have all the answers, they had all the questions. And so they saw Jesus praying more than once, and maybe they talked amongst themselves, and they said, boy, he knows how to pray. Let's ask him. And so when he finished praying, they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. You see, they couldn't seem to understand how to make it work. To them, it was just a routine, something that you're supposed to do. But not for Jesus. He'd pray and he'd be in the presence of Almighty God. He'd pray and the arm of God would move and things would happen. The disciples could see this. So they said, it's got to be something in his prayer life. Lord, would you help us out? Would you teach us to pray? We want to have that too. A few years ago in our Bible college, I taught a course on prayer. I don't know all there is to know about prayer, but I'll tell you this. It was a two-semester course. It was 24 separate lessons on the subject of prayer. We have one sermon tonight. We're not going to cover it all. 24 lessons doesn't cover it all either. Why? Because prayer is connected with Almighty God. And Almighty God is Almighty. He is eternal in every way. There is so much about God we just don't know. And there is so much about prayer that we have yet to learn. Prayer is a way of life. Prayer is like stepping through the curtain and realizing, wow, it's huge. 
That's what prayer is. Boy, there have been so many fantastic men and women of God down through the years that have stepped through that curtain and never came back. When they tasted what real prayer was all about, they didn't want to go back to humdrum. They didn't want to go back to ritual. I want to ignite a spark in our hearts tonight that'll make us want to go that extra step and, and learn a little more about prayer. I can guarantee you there's something about prayer you don't know, but God wants to teach you. We start with this question, what good is it to pray? What good is it to pray when we pray and it doesn't seem to do any good? Many of us, we pray for things to happen. We pray for people to be saved. We pray for uh, money to come in or people to be healed or whatever. And we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and nothing happens. What's the human response? Oh well. Oh well. Didn't work. Didn't work again. That doesn't sound good, does it? And yet I'm... I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. None of us gets all motivated and excited when we see no answer to prayer. When you've prayed for weeks or months or even for years and there's no answer to prayer, you don't get excited. You don't get motivated. You're like the rest of us. We say, what good is it to pray? We pray and pray and pray and nothing happens. So what good is it to pray when we pray and it does no good? Some Christians look upon prayer something like playing the lotto. Now, I hope we don't play the lotto. I hope we don't do that. But you know, your odds of winning the lotto stink. You buy a lotto ticket and it's like one in a hundred million or something insane. The bigger the amount of money, the worse your odds are. Many years ago... um, I heard a comedian talk about people who go to Las Vegas and try and win money at Las Vegas. You know, very, very, very few people ever win money at Las Vegas. Very few. The comedian said there's only one way to beat the odds. There's only one way to beat the the house. That is when you step off the plane in Las Vegas, walk right into the propeller. Of course, he was only joking. Some Christians look upon prayer as one of these things, oh, it's like one in a hundred million, this is ever going to happen. But we'll pray anyhow. It doesn't happen? Oh well. You still going to pray? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's the thing I'm supposed to do, isn't it? I'm supposed to pray. And so we just continue on praying. We look upon answers to prayer as a stroke of luck. Wow, look at that. The prayer got answered. Whoa, that's how we often look upon it. And we look upon praying as spiritual duty. Even though in the back of our minds we're saying, well, it's probably not going to do anything. But it's our duty. And we'll go ahead and do it anyhow. Because who knows, if we don't do it, maybe it's bad luck. So we better pray. Oh my, oh my. The truth is, prayer works. Prayer works. Prayer does work. We've got a whole Bible that tells us that. Prayer works when we do it right. 
you don't have to be a pastor or a deacon or an evangelist to get your prayers answered. But you, you can't be the devil either, okay? You can't be messing with sin. That's why lesson number one dealt with sin. You can always go on our website and uh, look at previous messages and you'll find it there on a Wednesday night, lesson number one about dealing with sin. You can always look that up. Now, someone might think, well, um, what, about, what about doctrine? You know, doctrine, isn't that important? Doctrine. I believe in doctrine. I believe it's very important to have good doctrine. I do. But I want you to know something. Baptists and Methodists have a lot in common, but then they have a lot of differences as well. They have differences in how they run their churches. They have differences in their belief on eternal security. They've got some major doctrinal differences. But did you know that God will give answers to prayer to the Methodists as well as he'll give answers to prayer to the Baptists? Did you know that? And we think that the Methodists are wrong in some of their doctrinal beliefs. But it doesn't seem to stop God from answering their prayers. Some of the greatest prayer warriors have been Methodists. How can that be? Well, prayer works when you do it right. That's the answer. You don't have to have perfect doctrine to get your prayers answered. Although, try your best to have perfect doctrine. Know why it is you believe what you believe. There's a story about the cook and the stove repairman. We all know what a cook is. We all know what a stove repairman is. He's the guy who repairs the stove when it breaks down. Your stove breaks down. You call the stove repairman. He comes and he does his tests. He says, here's the problem. Here's the, what needs to happen. And he fixes it. And now the stove works. And you say, hooray, hooray. And then you ask the stove repairman, uh, tell me, sir, you know so much about stoves. Tell me, what is a good temperature to cook a roast at? And the stove repairman would look at you and probably say, I haven't a clue. I have to call my wife and ask her. Why, is she a stove repairman? No, but she's a cook. Don't ask the stove repairman how to cook. A good cook can whip meals together with just about anything you got sitting on your shelf or sitting in your fridge or your pantry. He or she will look and see what you got and their wheels will turn and here's what we can do. A stove repairman would look and see what spices you've got and what's cans of whatever on your pantry shelf or what's in your fridge and say, I haven't a clue. There are people who get their prayers answered even though they don't know how to repair a stove. There are Christians that get their prayers answered even though their doctrine may be a little off. Now, I'm not talking about the doctrines of salvation and who Jesus is and heaven and hell, these basic doctrines. Uh, that's basic. And that's, that's the same. That's the same in all Bible-believing Christianity. But you do get some other doctrines that are a little bit, you know, cross-eyed or wonky or something. One of them, of course, being the 
doctrine on security, eternal security. A lot of Christians are taught, led to believe that they can lose their salvation, but get it back the next day if they want. But then they could lose it again the day after. But then they could get it back the day after that. And of course, variations on that theme. But they can get the prayers answered. They can. In the family of God, there have been some men and women who were extremely powerful in their prayers. And they've accomplished much for God. And as I have studied their lives, I have found they all had four things in common. Number one is they were all saved. So we're not talking about unsaved people getting their prayers answered. We're talking about saved people getting their prayers answered. But not just saved. Number two, they loved Jesus with all their hearts. Yeah, they may have had some other doctrine in there, but boy, they loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart. They were saved and loved Jesus. Number three, they were always reading their Bible. You cannot divorce prayer from the Bible. They were men and women of the book, and they read their Bible. And number four, is they spent a lot of time in prayer. Now that's something that many of us just don't do. You know, the average Christian won't spend more than really 10 minutes a day maximum in prayer. That would include praying for meals as well. They say, Pastor, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I get on my knees, I'll read some scripture, I'll get on my knees to pray, and after about two minutes, I go dry. I don't know what to pray for. So what am I to do? Stay on my knees for another eight minutes and say, hey, I just spent ten minutes in prayer. I don't know what to pray for. What do I do after two minutes and I run dry? That's a common problem. I know because I've had that problem myself. I know of many Christians that have that problem. Well, take your Bible, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. I want to show you a lady here whose doctrine wasn't that good, but yet she got her prayer answered. Matthew chapter number 15. Follow along, please, as I read from verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he, as Jesus, answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent unto the lost sheep. I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, "It's, It's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now watch this in verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman... Great is thy faith. 
Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Here's a woman here, a Syrophoenician woman, Canaanite. And her doctrine wasn't all that good. The disciples had better doctrine than she did. And yet she seemed to know something that they didn't know. Because they were saying, Lord, teach us to pray. What's the secret? She knew that if she humbled herself and came to Jesus, who by the way is the one who answers prayer, and that she lovingly would not take no for an answer, she could get what she needed. This lady had a burden, and she knew that Jesus could help. Now, the key is she had determination in prayer. She had much determination. She refused to give up. Now, it's important for us to understand that her prayer request was a good one. She didn't come to Jesus saying, Lord, please let me win the lotto, Friday night's lotto. Oh, Lord, please, I'll give you some, Lord, if you let me win. Let me win the lotto, please, Lord. She didn't come with that kind of request. She had a real need, a real burden. Her daughter... Well, she says here in verse 22, My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Her daughter was demon-possessed. If that doesn't grip your heart, what will? Imagine your own flesh and blood, tormented, vexed, twisted up, gnarled with a demon. Wouldn't that move your heart? Wouldn't you cross... Rivers, oceans, and seas, if you had to, to get an answer, to get some relief, to get some help, to get some healing or curing. And maybe she went to see some of the religious intelligentsia of her, of her city. Maybe there was a witch doctor. Maybe there was a Benny Hinn in her day. Nothing worked. And she heard Jesus was around. I don't know what obstacles she had to overcome to get this far, but then she had another obstacle, and that was the disciples. Unfortunately, sometimes well-meaning people stand in the way of progress. And the disciples, even though they had great doctrine, they were kind of missing the point. She had a good prayer request. She was praying for the life of her daughter. She would not take no for an answer. She got what she wanted. Charles Spurgeon was a Baptist preacher, born 1834. He died in 1892. A young man, if you ask me. Spurgeon was a great man of God. He wrote these words, It is not possible that God should refuse to hear prayer. It is possible for Him to bid the sun stand still and the moon to stay her monthly march. It is possible for him to bid the waves freeze in the sea. Possible for him to quench the light of the stars in eternal darkness. But it is not possible for him to refuse to hear our prayer which is based upon his promise and offered in faith. End of quote. Very good quote on prayer. Did you know that? That it is impossible for God not to hear you when you're basing your prayer upon one of His promises? 
Didn't Jesus promise, Him that cometh to me I shall in no wise cast out? You believe that, don't you? Amen? One amen? Amen. A few more. Yeah, I believe it. You believe it. Sure. Any lost person, we have confidence. We tell them, call upon the name of the Lord. Thou shalt be saved. Repent of your sin. Open your heart to Jesus. Receive Jesus as your Savior. You will be saved. We know it as we know we are alive and here today. We know it for sure. And yet, some of the other promises in God's Word, we doubt. Hmm? We doubt. Oh, it's only a stroke of luck if we get a prayer answered. When we base our prayers upon the promises of God, that's when we light a fire, as it were. <laughs> wow. This lady got what she came for. Archbishop Layton was a Presbyterian preacher. He was born 1611, the very year that our King James Bible was first published. Born 1611, died in 1680. He said these words, As a painted fire is no fire. You understand what he's saying? If you took a paintbrush and some colors and you painted a fire, it's not a fire, is it? It's just a picture of a fire. That's what he's saying. As a painted fire is no fire, as a dead man is no man, so a cold prayer is no prayer. In a painted fire, there is no heat. In a dead man, there is no life. So in a cold prayer... I'm sorry, did I tell you Archbishop Layton? Yes? All right. This was Thomas Brooks. No wonder you're looking at me say, what? Yeah, this was Thomas Brooks. He was a Puritan preacher from 1608 to 1680. There we go. And he said, as a painted fire is no fire, as a dead man is no man, so a cold prayer is no prayer. In a painted fire, there's no heat. In a dead man, there's no life. And in a cold prayer, there's no omnipotency, no devotion, no blessing. Cold prayers are as arrows without heads on them. They're as swords without edges on them. They're as birds without wings. They pierce not, they cut not, they fly not up to heaven. Cold prayers do always freeze before they get to heaven. Oh, that Christians would chide themselves out of their cold prayers and chide themselves into a better and warmer frame of spirit when they make their supplications to the Lord. That was Thomas Brooks, a Puritan preacher. Now let me tell you Archbishop Layton. <laughs> Did you know he was born in 1611? the year our King James Bible was first published, and he died in 1684. And here's what he said. It is not the gilded paper and good writing of a petition that prevails with a king, but the moving sense of it. And to that king, meaning Jesus, who discerns the heart, heart sense, is the sense of all and that which he only regards. In other words, if your heart's not in it, what are you doing? You really have a burden when you pray for lost people? 
Oh, Lord, save Huey, Dewey, Louie. Save Winkin', Blinkin', and Nod. Amen. Lord, bless the missionaries. Amen. Now, what's to eat? Where is your heart when you pray? If the Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus with that spirit, her daughter would never have been healed. Jesus would have just said, sorry. Turned and walked from her. And she would have said, oh well, there's another unanswered prayer. This Syrophoenician woman knew something the disciples didn't. Maybe the disciples should have come to the Syrophoenician woman and said, oh woman, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to come before the Savior and humble ourselves and not give up until we get our request. That's a thought. Let me tell you a story. It was written by Vicki Huffman in a book called Plus Living in 1989. She tells about a man who loved to hunt. And so he bought himself two pedigreed hunting dogs. And he trained them to be fine bird dogs. That means that, you know, they, the dogs would listen and they'd point wherever there, there were birds in the bush because he loved to hunt birds. And the dogs would point. And then he'd fire his gun and get birds. And these dogs were called bird dogs. And they were very expensive. High pedigree dogs. He bought them. He trained them. He kept them in his backyard. Fenced in his backyard. One morning, as he was looking out the window, he observed this little bulldog trotting down the alley behind his home. He saw this little bulldog stop at the fence and see the two dogs And he watched that little bulldog squeeze its way under the fence. And he thought, oh no, this little guy is going to get torn to shreds. Here, maybe I should uh, run out and stop him. And then he thought, nah, let him get chewed up a bit. It'll teach him a lesson. And so the three of them went at it. And the fur was flying and it was all flying off the little bulldog. And after a while, he'd had enough. And he squeezed himself under the fence and took off. The man thought, well, that's a tough lesson to learn, but that's the last we've seen of him. The next day, about the same time, that little bulldog came back. And his two uh, pedigree uh, hunting dogs were, were right there. And this little bulldog squeezed his way underneath the fence again for round two. And they went at it. The three of them, and the fur was flying, and it was flying off the bulldog. Well, after a while, the bulldog had had enough, and he squeezed back under, and he took off. Well, this happened again. To the man's surprise, the dog showed up again for several days with essentially the same results, and he was quite amused by this. But then he got called away on a business trip, and he had to leave early the next morning. He was gone for a couple of weeks. And so when he got back, he asked his wife, what became of that little bulldog? She said, you won't believe this. She said, at about the same time every day, that little dog came to our backyard, squeezed under the fence, and fought with our pedigree dogs. He never missed a day. She said, it has come to the point now that when our pedigree dogs hear him snorting, down the alley that they start whining and they run down into the basement. That little bulldog 
squeezes under the fence and struts around our backyard as if he owns it. How do you manage your prayer? That's the Syrophoenician woman. This lady, right here in Scripture, she squeezed her way underneath the fence. You know, you and I are always going to have problems in life, always, as long as we draw breath. We're going to have some opposition. The devil's going to come at us. We're told in Scripture to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand uh, against the wiles of the devil and having done all to withstand and we're told all these pieces of equipment were to take and the one offensive piece which is the sword of the spirit the word of God and with that we can cut down Satan it's to be used on Satan not on people Dale Carnegie as far as I know was not a saved Christian man I could be wrong I hope I am if you know something I don't, I'd sure like to hear. But Dale Carnegie made this observation. He said, Most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. That's the Syrophoenician woman. When you get alone tomorrow morning with God to pray, you ought to be like that Syrophoenician woman. You ought to be like that snorting little bulldog. But come humbly to the throne of grace. You're not there to fight Jesus. You've got the world, the flesh, and the devil to fight. You've got discouragement to fight. You've got those bad thoughts that the devil's trying to infiltrate your brain with. And you need to ask the Lord to wash those away and fortify you. But the thing is, you need to pour over His Word until a verse jumps off the page, and it will. And you can grab that, and you can go to God. You know that God promises to heal all our diseases in Psalm 93. Did you know that's one of His promises? Why don't you take that promise in your prayer closet and start praying for your loved one who needs a healing touch? Lord, I've got your word on it. It's your promise. You promised. Lord, you promised. Like a small child, when the parent promises, okay, I promise you, I will do this for you. And then when it doesn't happen, the child comes and says, but dad, but mom, you promised. And we can go to our heavenly father that way. Oh, listen. I wish we had 24 Wednesday nights we could teach about prayer. I have 24 separate messages on prayer. Different aspects of it. And it still doesn't cover the whole gamut of prayer. But know this. We can take a lot of the mystery out of prayer if we will be willing to cross through the curtain, so to speak, you will find prayer to be a whole exciting world. You really can pray and see answers to prayer. You really can pray and feel so intimately close with God. You really can pray and have your mind, your heart changed. And when you experience it, you'll never go back to, now I lay me down to sleep, you know, 
Or sometimes we say the Lord's Prayer off, you know, we rattle it off, but, you know, our mind is thinking about the roast out in the, the oven. We'll never go back to praying that way. Never. Once we realize the whole exciting world that God has for us in prayer. And this is one powerful way to live the victorious Christian life. If we'll do it. Now let's pray together. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.